What's up, everybody? I'm Val, and this is Emmy. Hello. So I had this dream yesterday. I was framed for a faraway murder. What? And a trial was held without my notice, and they gave me the death penalty. (laughs) And I had to, the dream was so vivid where I had to go online to this portal, and all I saw was death penalty execution decision made. Like, it was so vivid that i was working on appeals and i was like my cell phone pings will show that i was not near the scene of the crime (laughs) when it happened (laughs) dang imagine trying to fight a conviction through email but i guess the judge was like val the decision has already been made and i was like i didn't even know when the trial was happening do you know what crime you committed it was like a murder Oh my god. Obviously, so that's why I was like being executed, right? Oh my god. I woke up and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm a free person in my bed. Yeah. Oh my god. I know waking up from something so vivid, like you still have the feelings. I was yes! like, how am I gonna tell Carter I'm about to be executed Whoa. by the country of Canada? Oh no. <laughs> wow, death penalty in Canada. You really must have killed somebody. Yeah, and the dream even turned supernatural where I was like, we have to go back in time and prevent it from happening so they don't even try me in the first wow. place. This is what happens when I sleep in. Right? I love how, too, like, that's the that's your thought process is to go back in time, not find the killer. Yeah. No, it was definitely all about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's my multiverse. I get to choose the plot. And then I keep having this reoccurring stress dream where somehow as an adult, I've been re-enrolled in like an extra year of high school (laughs) and I'm supposed to go to these classes during the day. Yep. But obviously I'm not going. And this one was also so lucid where I had to log on to like the same thing I used in high school Mm -hmm. and see that I was failing all these classes that I had never attended. And this happens every single time I have the dream. And it's like somehow like I'm still me mm-hmm. and I'm like supposed to go to high school again, <laughs> yep. but <laughs> just just totally normal, totally fine. But I'm like, I already graduated, so I don't need to really go to these classes. But what if it retroactively affects my GPA? <laughs> literally I'm about it. <laughs> yep. I have literally the same dream except college. It's like not being able to make my classes in school like in college and very specifically it's like I'm not sure if because I missed this class because I get lost if I'm going to be able to graduate and I'm like so obsessed with being able to graduate and then I wake up and I'm fucking 24 so like I wake up and I'm like oh thank god I don't have homework other than this literally because yeah right literally because all I can think of are like my finals and like projects and talking to professors and how I can make up the credits <laughs> yeah exactly we've been ruined just absolutely traumatized by the school system without mm-hmm. further ado emily's gonna tell us about robert morgan yeah i mean i don't even know where to start honestly um but i did want to give a single shout out to uh some shrews that were born in an austrian zoo last week 
absolutely <laughs> unbelievably adorable. I actually lost my mind when I saw the baby shrews. So literally these teeny tiny elephant oh shrews, which are the best animal on planet Earth, were born <laughs> last month. <laughs> and I just saw I, I saw it like last last week or whatever. And uh and once I saw them each. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. And so I saw them and I was like, I have to mention it. So yes, shout out to the two elephant shrews born in Vienna. Congrats. You're doing great, sweeties. They're so cute. <laughs> like ridiculous. I love watching them move. <laughs> Cause one of my favorite all-time internet videos is this like it's like image or it's like a from a nature documentary and it's like shots of an elephant shrew and they have the nose like moving and it's that over the soundtrack of the phantom of the opera and it's like this <laughs> one specific song and it's like sing for me my angel and it's just the elephant shrew going to town it's fantastic <laughs> 10 out of 10 recommend so robert morgan that's who i'm going to be talking about today they are one of my favorite directors of all time. The first time I discovered them, I was probably like 13, literally. So I've been watching them for like over a decade at this point, technically. Um, and so Robert Morgan is a British stop motion filmmaker. And he focuses mostly on like claymation. Um, I think specifically, though, he uses a lot of like silicone based materials to create Ooh. like his really specific style, which makes a lot of sense because his style is honestly like very reflective. Everything is very shiny. And so I think silicone really lends itself to that, especially too, because he within his characters with his stop motion films, he uses metal frames, which allows them to be nice and flexible and poseable. His shorts range from two minutes at the shortest end to 23 minutes at the longest end. And, and the thing, too, about the one that was 23 minutes, you know, stop motion, as you can imagine, takes years upon years to make. And when you said that you had seen Mad God, I was so thrilled. Like, it's such an obscure film. And so, of course, I think of the most, like, obscure director. That's absolutely my favorite. And so his shorts are almost always like in a visual sense comprised of a very fleshy color palette. Usually it's like reds, pinks, browns, some blacks, but I find a lot of the colors to be really organic. And a lot of what he does is really centered around like, and I put human in quotes, but like a human body, which I think with the color palette and the focus on anatomy, it just makes it as uncomfortable as it could possibly be. And, and the thing, too, about his characters and the reason why, like, human is kind of in quotes is, like, you can see from the stills I shared that they're recognizable as people. Two eyes, a nose, a mouth. Some of them are bipedal, if we're lucky. But that's really not always the case. And I'm also kind of hard-pressed to call the characters that he created human in the first place. Because they're just so bizarre. And they're always kind of like warped in really specific ways. Like maybe they don't move right or maybe their texture is a little off. I find that Robert Morgan, stylistically, he really focuses on kind of all the byproducts that we as people tend to avoid, such as like texture, weird color patches, grease, oil, shininess, especially. He uses like all of these like glossy materials to really emphasize all of these details. And like the words that I used in my notes, I was like, it could basically be described as uncanny, sticky, gross, gooey, shiny, grungy, very dirty. 
you know, things tend to be really kind of like disorganized for whatever the main character is. And for all of his shorts, just about almost all of them feature a main character in distress. So continuing too with sort of his style of shorts, usually the story is often minimal, but the actual setting and the visuals are usually detailed. I wouldn't even call it busy. Everything he does is very intentional and very purposeful, which I really enjoy. And especially too with something that takes this much time, you know, it's really nice to see that he builds everything from scratch and he really designs the sets that he's using. It's so many of the stills, the characters characters are just wincing yes yes and it's like it's their constant like state of being is this absolute discomfort and I find too like a a lot of the times the characters that he has within his stories they're kind of like victims of their own plot line usually in his stories it focused on like an adult man which I kind of like because you know uh, people say to tell the story you know so I kind of appreciate that he's doing all of this gross stuff with a very simply recognizable character that he can then sort of manipulate and explore that point. I feel like it would be much more off-putting for me if he had more female characters being as mutilated as he as he does like within his stories I just feel like there would just be a different connotation with that yeah we had enough of that with William Blake (laughs) I know like literally but like because I also just see that in horror in general just the exploitation of the female body in just like any way that people can think of and it's like oh it's a horror movie but it's like no like they did on that on purpose and uh and I don't really like it and I, I think about that stuff And then usually, too, there's very little dialogue, if anything at all. I think uh, the most dialogue that you actually hear out of all of his shorts is in the short um, A Cat with Hands, which is one of my (laughs) favorite ones, which I'll touch upon, uh, you know, later. You're even lucky if you get, like, grunting from some of the characters. Like, I think the most vocal character that I had seen was from Belial's Dream, which is so cool, right? Because Robert Morgan, like, a couple of his shorts were commissioned by a studio who were then releasing these, like, cult classic films. So one of the ones that I had actually seen years ago, and it actually, like, really put me off from horror for, like, a long time, I've never seen the actual film, and I'm never going to. It's called Tomorrow I Will Be Dirt, Scenes from the Afterlife of Lathar Shram. And it's disgusting. Whereas the the cat with hands is actually on on the gore score. Uh, I put that as zero out of 10. It is genuinely like (laughs) the most kind of like people friendly short that Robert Morgan has ever made. And it has the most dialogue. And then the more disturbing it is, the less dialogue that the characters say. And I think that it might actually be quite purposeful because in each of the shorts, you really don't get any information outside of what is presented to you within the short. There's barely any context. Like the only reason why Belial's dream has quickly become one of my favorites is because I've seen the original film Basket Case. Have you ever heard of that, Val? I haven't. How does the short relate to the original movie? So the best word to use is like tribute or homage. Basket Case, the film, is about this like young guy, like in his 20s, and he has this twin, Belial. And Belial is this like malformed, misshapen monster. It's literally the the pink screenshot that I sent you with that weird like sort of 
messed up looking guy and yeah. uh, he lives inside of a basket and it's like him and his brother and they live t- their lives together but of course Belial is jealous and lonely and all kinds of things so he goes around like killing people and it kind of follows that like stereotypical moment where you know you have two brothers like one's kind of good one's kind of bad the good one wants to have his own life and the bad one like can't be by himself Belial's dream is literally Robert Morgan's imagination of what a dream from this creature would be like. And it's basically like a, like a sex dream almost. It's kind of like a nightmare. And which makes sense because like in the film, Belial is sexually frustrated. He doesn't understand why he can't do the same things his brother can. He knows he's a monster. He knows he has to hide, but he you know really resents that fact. And so Belial's dream is just kind of a little insight into the emotional state of Belial. And that was really fun because there were things that I saw in it and they make a lot of references like to the actual film itself. I think he even uses some sound bites from the film, which I thought was pretty cool. I don't really count that as dialogue though, because it's just kind of like a, a little detail, something to push the narrative along. But it's really quite spooky and I honestly feel kind of sympathetic towards Belial by the end of, of the dream because he's just like terrified and he doesn't know what the world is. But in the movie, I did not feel any sympathy it's like it's one of those like really gross like 70s 80s cult classics that like you watch it and you hate it but now it's just kind of one of those things that like you're like oh yeah you gotta see this i like how all the characters look like they would kind of make the same noise as the minecraft villagers that's like what i'm picturing when you're saying grunting yeah, is it, well, because Belial specifically, right? So within the the short, he makes a lot of these, like, it's kind of like a noise you would make if you didn't have vocal cords. It's just air moving through your throat. And that's oh. how he kind of communicates his discomfort. So that's the closest you really get to, like, dialogue from a main character within any of Morgan's shorts. It's just this, like, whining. The rest of the time, like, there's just no speaking whatsoever it's all body language i like that especially if you're spending that much time on the craftsmanship behind these characters i'd be like you can't do anything but look at them like no sounds nothing else just the visual and that's the thing too it's like it's one of those things where it's like it's it's visually striking enough that you want to watch it but but the stuff that morgan does within his shorts is just so gross like you have so much freedom when you're doing animation and he really really takes advantage of that and the thing too that i thought was kind of interesting is of course his sort of filmography is going to be pretty small because stop motion takes so much time and effort but he used to have more stuff on his youtube and that was the main way that i would watch what what he had and what he had produced but currently he only has about 17 maybe uh videos on his youtube channel some of them i had never seen before uh last week some of them i've seen many times over sometimes you know he'll even have like a director's cut of one thing but he actually removed one video and i thought it was kind of interesting because some articles were alleging that it was almost autobiographical and it had to do with the relationship between him and his sister and there's nothing to confirm that because honestly finding information on robert morgan was very very difficult even in the descriptions of a lot of the videos was like complete nonsense unless it was commissioned by like a proper studio other than that it was just nonsense and like capitals which i was like great okay great 
He's so, just like you. He wants to be mysterious. I know, like, honestly. So I watched 10 shorts in preparation for this episode. That way I kind of had, like, a clear understanding of what the motifs are, the color palette, really all of these common things that go through all of his shorts so that I could try to sort of articulate kind of what I was seeing. And then also, too, just, like, within his original work so things that he doesn't make for studios he tends to really focus on themes of self-mutilation death loss loneliness is a really really big one it's kind of like the human condition if Lars von Trier got involved it's a lot (laughs) of like high contrast low saturation imagery except for a couple outliers and his use of like organic tones I think is really interesting he really sticks to a specific kind of margin with color it's basically any color that you could find on the human body you'll probably find it in his body of work it's all very like meat based and and what I love too about the titles of his work is like they almost give you an idea of kind of like what he's about even without seeing any of his stuff so I kind of created a little rating for myself because like you know this the shorts the videos movies really anything that I watch tends to be really obscure and sometimes it's difficult for me to sort of impart into people how uncomfortable the movie or visual is and so for me I've created what I like to call the gore score patent pending and (laughs) Uh, You know, I really kind of enjoy that because it's not like that regular rating. It's not PG, PG PG-13 or whatever. It's literally just how gross, how genuinely uncomfortable did this video or movie make me? So I watched 10 of them and they are as follows. So I'm going to say the title, I'm going to say the gore score, and then I'm also going to let you know how long the video was because there's a lot of videos that were really only like two minutes long. And I, I don't know why I just love that. Because I find really movies are just too long. There's no reason for a movie to be like three hours. It's ridiculous. I would rather read a book. Like, that's just so (laughs) silly. I will not watch the Justice League and you can't make me. And I think too, like, if you have a point, you don't need three hours to say it. Unless you do. It's very debatable, sure. But most people don't. And so I really love the fact that like stop motion has so much that goes into it. And sure, maybe you only get 30 seconds out of like three weeks of work, if that. But to have something so poignant within a span of like two minutes, 15 seconds to make me go gross. That's disgusting. Oh, my God. You know, I I don't know why, but that is honestly a plus for me. I like it when artists have like a really clear vision. Because the thing, too, is like a lot of his art doesn't have a point. It doesn't have a moral or anything. If anything, it makes you feel worse after watching it. I can definitely (laughs) say I am a worse person after watching Tomorrow I Will Be Dirt scenes from the afterlife of of Lothar Schramm. Worst person. (laughs) Oh my god. I've been thinking of this the entire time. One of my other favorite groups that do something similar are the Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared people. Yes. They use a lot of puppetry as well. Oh my god, I love Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Okay. And just how they get so violent, like, at the end. Like, Like, so quickly, too. And And that's also kind of, like, something that Morgan does, is, like, everything escalates so quickly. But you really could not guess what this man is thinking and what he's planning for the short that you're watching. You just have no idea. And then all of a sudden, it's just over. 
So I started with a very simple one, and it's called They Have Changed Their Faces. The gore score is a 0 out of 10. Technically, the short is 4 minutes, 34 seconds, but it's actually on a loop. So he plays it twice. So technically, it's only about 2 minutes, 15 seconds. It's very, very debatable whether or not he's using a real human body. There's only a couple where you actually see real human people. And then sometimes you'll see shots where you're like, that could definitely be a person, but it could also be something super gross. They Have Changed Their Faces was actually kind of like an interesting little icebreaker for me to get back into watching Morgan's videos. It literally just focuses on a head of human hair. It's long, dark brown, and you basically the camera is very low to the ground. Imagine being at a door frame. You're at the lower left corner of the open door frame, and you see hair start to snake across the floor and wrap around the door frame and begin to enter the room. But the head always stops just short of seeing the forehead of whoever the hair is attached to. So it comes in around the door frame, and then it goes backwards and back out, and then it comes in again, and then it goes out, and then the short end. And there's very minimal noise, if anything, in this one. And honestly, what I would call noise, you know, because it's, it's like a lot of like clicking and tapping. It sounds like feedback from speakers and microphones, or like what it sounds like when you have a record player just playing nothing, and it just keeps hitting that little spike and that little skip. And th that's really the soundtrack of a lot of his work. He rarely, rarely does music. And if there is music and something that he made, he did not produce it. Somebody else added it to the film. So the next one I watched was, unfortunately, Tomorrow I Will Be Dirt, scenes from the afterlife of Lothar Schramm. This was a absolute, I would put it higher if I could. It was a 10 out of 10 on the gore score. It is so awful. This was another tribute. And it was literally a tribute to a German cult film called Schramm. The short and its namesake are about a serial killer. And it's it's very artsy. It's definitely something that some, you know, random 20-year-old guy would have told me to watch when I was like 18 or whatever. This guy is a serial killer. He's had a whole big life, a horrible life of rejection and pain. And then he's killed people and he's an adult. And it basically starts with him falling off of a ladder. He hits his head and he is dying on the floor of his house. And the whole film is his life flashing before his eyes. So you basically get to witness his dying visions with him. In Robert Morgan's tribute to this, you know, the you have the same character, the same guy. Um, and he actually does this cool thing where he uses live action footage and the animated footage. And so he starts with the live action. And then once he falls off the ladder, it switches to Robert Morgan's style. And that transition... Is, is really jarring in itself, but I kind of like it because it, it works really well. And so, you know, you're kind of brought with like a, a little bit of a less cohesive plot line than it would be in the actual video shram, which again, I don't recommend watching. And it's, it's really quite intense and it really gives you a summary of what shram is. It is really gross. I, I do think that it is kind of worth watching, but it is just really uncomfortable. There is a lot of violence. There's, there's a lot of beautifully done foreshadowing like I feel like I don't even have to watch the actual movie Schramm anymore because this really encapsulated what that German director was like hoping to portray in his feature film but there is like self-mutilation genital mutilation it's all very 
gross it's very like like genital oriented because from what i can understand it's one of those situations where the main character is very tortured he has a lot of conflicts going on probably stemming from rejection from women or an overbearing mother that was kind of the vibe i was getting that was another commission by a studio so anything that robert is like commissioned it's usually for like a blu-ray release of the film so that was uh, eight minutes and 16 seconds long so the next one was to dust dash nightmares this one i believe was much much calmer this one i actually really really adored from a visual artist standpoint so it's literally like these up and down sort of hazy, intense depth of field. So everything is really like detailed and only one point where it's focusing. And then the rest of it is very blurry. Something that Morgan does a lot within his visuals is like already you have these horrible looking characters and these horrible looking things. But he also just adds to it by making the actual imagery really disorienting or blurry or your eye is trying so hard to read things and to find things that are familiar and every time that you see something and you're like oh I know what that is he completely flips it on his head like at one point right so you're going up and down the body of this cadaver and and you know you you surmise that by the pallor you can see all the veins there seems to be some bruising this is another one too where I literally could not figure out if he was using a real human body or not because there are parts where I think he definitely could be but then there are other parts where I'm like like, I would not put it past this man to make a full silicone cadaver. He could totally do that. And the thing, too, about this one is this one is actually, it's a little bit icky. I did actually give it a do, 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 a 2 out of 10, which is a little bit interesting because some of the other ones are actually a 1 or a 0. But this one I gave it 2 because at one point it zooms in on the cadaver's feet and the big toe literally unravels like a rose. And you have the the little, like, phalange in the toe be the center of the rose (laughs) any uncensored foot automatically gives it another point on the gore (laughs) exactly but like honestly like i don't want to look at this guy's toenails and then all of a sudden it like opens and it like unfurls (laughs) it's literally like a fleshy blooming onion it's disgusting It's, like, so gross. But, of course, in my, like, twisted little art mind, I'm like, that's gorgeous. That's stunning. Look at that composition. (laughs) And that one was actually quite short. It was uh, 2 minutes 15 seconds. You know, I didn't really care for this one. It's called Channel X Cartoon Show. I gave that a 1 out of 10 on the gore score. And that is 2 minutes 56 seconds. This is probably the only short that... Even when it ended, I really did not know what the fuck was going on. I just didn't know. Like, a lot of the times, the energy of his shorts are very much a dream sequence. It is very disorienting, and that's very much on purpose, sure. But I also kind of like to have a story, just like a little bit. And so, like, in this one, you just have, like, that creepy guy, and he's watching TV, and he's absolutely possessed by the image. But he also points out that this guy is holding a handgun, and it seems like he's contemplating suicide. But he's so possessed for some reason by the TV in front of him that you're not really sure which direction it's going to go. And and he starts having these, like, waking visions of things coming into his home. And, and then at one point, he turns into, like, a big cat. So I don't really know what that was about, but it was cool. <laughs> um, and I think it is one of the only shorts as well that is fully black and white. 
So a lot of the times he his shorts are actually in color. It may be a very low saturation, so it may be hard to tell. But a lot of the times there is still color there. Or he likes to pick more like earth tones, which is also kind of very calming. A lot of the stuff he uses melts together visually. It's all, again, just very organic. Like when, when people think of stop motion, they're going to, you know, very quickly think of like Tim Burton films. And and while Tim Burton, you know, and, and whoever he works with does stop motion and they do it quite well, it's all very theatrical and, and it's all like technicolor. It's very bright and flashy and it is very like like technically well done but the thing about morgan's work is that it literally looks like he took like human flesh and molded it into the characters that we then watch play out their own little worlds it's it's just it has like a different feeling to me it's just so visceral it's like i feel these characters pain because it's all right there it's like they're completely missing the top layer of epidermis and just underneath is just all the sinew just exposed then i watched the making of Belial's dream and then Belial's dream and so I did already talk (laughs) about that it is a dream from that specific character I thought it was really interesting I thought he did a great job embellishing on a story that already exists that's a really big responsibility for any artist to deal with something that's already very much a cult classic and I think he did a really really great job I did put uh the making of a zero out of ten because it wasn't scary it was just bts and then Belial's dream I put at about a three out of ten again my rating has nothing to do with like sexual aspects it has nothing to do with the actual content of the film it literally is just how gross i thought it was so the seventh one that i watched was the cat with hands this one i really think that you would enjoy if you haven't seen it already it is really visually pretty he does that shallow depth of field and his camera often does that kind of movement that lenses almost do when they're trying to focus um but he does it very purposefully so again it's kind of that like that organic disorienting feeling like if you had a headache and you just looked at a cemetery you will see the cat with hands like that's that's just how it feels and so the cat with hands as well you know I find it to be very accessible like if you ever wanted to show anybody Robert Morgan's work that's the first one that I always show people I did put it a zero out of 10 on the gore score but I do not recommend it for children under 13 that's just fact and I like this one quite a bit because compared to the other ones where it's almost this like nonsensical plot line and just a barrage of different like uncomfortable unsettling imagery this one has kind of an actual plot because it's basically a fake fairy tale that morgan came up with and then he sort of gave it life and you literally follow this like story of the cat with hands and it's like this little boy goes to a well he goes to fetch water he pulls the bucket up and what is inside but a cat but the cat crawls out the little boy is still watching and you see the cat has human hands so the main thing is and the little boy doesn't realize he's in danger because the cat over the years has been stealing body parts from multiple people and taking that body part and making it his own so he slowly but surely over the many decades that he is haunting some random town in britain he is creating a human facade and so i really enjoyed this one as well because it's quite and you know okay spoiler alert i guess uh you know the the short is literally only like three minutes 31 seconds but fine 
it, it's a really similar motif that you'll see sometimes, especially in like fables, where you'll have a narrator, he's telling you about the cat with hands, and oh, you better look out, blah, blah, blah. They show the narrator, and he's talking to his young protege. They're at a spooky well, so of course, that's why the narrator is telling this story. And then, of course, the narrator finishes his story, and he's like, so you better look out, because, you know, this cat now could look like me or you. And his protege just wordlessly looks at him and steals this man's tongue because this man has been talking the entire video and this is actually the only video that has the most amount of dialogue out of his entire filmography and I just loved it because it's like that sense of irony of this whole time this guy is telling this story trying to scare this guy uh, and then he ends up being victimized by the very thing that he was talking about and it's also very spooky this is really the only time where you see like a real human person doing real human person things, just walking and talking and breathing. Even his protege, um, I feel like it was a real person that Robert used, but I think he put some kind of mask on their face. So like, I think there's a lot of dramatic irony because the viewer figures out that this guy isn't human before the narrator does. And it's very complete. Whereas a lot of his other like shorts are, they feel incomplete because a lot of them end very abruptly. And, and I think that adds kind of to the shock value. But this one is just a really nice, well-rounded little story. And it was the first one I ever saw. So That concept is so terrifying. Isn't it? I love it. I love the idea of a haunting creature, you know, kind of like a changeling, something that wants to be human so bad, it's going to do anything it can. Yeah, that literally yeah. relates to like some of the movies I watch too. But yes. I'll tell you about those later. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, so okay, so I have two more. Wait, I'm so sorry. Three more. Um, so oh, technically four, but we're gonna say three. So um, that's okay. This, <laughs> and this one is one of my honestly one of my favorites. I really ended up enjoying it. This one is the three brown screenshots I sent you with the old man, and I picked these three screenshots in particular, and I can describe them. Um, so two of so like well, the first one that I thought was really important to include is this old man. He's very tattered. His whole room and everything are just these different shades of tan and brown and white everything looks very dirty it looks like nothing has been cleaned in like 40 years cobwebs on the walls it's very just kind of gross and it really all goes towards the idea that this is an a lonely old man who's just living his life in his one bedroom apartment and so it, it basically the screenshot is him laying in bed alone the next screenshot that I decided to share was um, in the story, the old man is a little bit of a lurker. And so what ends up happening is that he he lurks on his neighbor and it's it's a common thing. You see the marks his bed makes when he moves his bed away from the wall so he can lift up a picture and look through this hole in the wall and he sees his neighbor. And his neighbor is dealing with her own thing, and she actually commits suicide. And and you can kind of surmise that these are two people who have nobody in their life, and now this old man really doesn't have anybody in his life. His neighbor is now gone as well. In a, in a creepy way, you know, he goes and he basically breaks into her apartment and takes her body. And and you're worried, right? You're like, oh my god, like what are what is this guy's intentions? And I will say, this is probably the only Robert Morgan short that, in my opinion, has a happy ending. 
because this man doesn't do anything terrible. He does not violate this woman's boundaries. He doesn't do anything to desecrate the body. He actually takes it. He brings it to his apartment and he actually like puts her under his bed and then he goes to sleep. And upon seeing that, I was kind of thinking like, oh, you know, maybe this guy is literally just so lonely. He literally just wants another person within his room. Before he goes to sleep, he actually has a pet maggot, right? And I thought this was just kind of part of his characterization, part of that loneliness and him trying to seek companionship so bad that he would literally try to domesticate a maggot. And so he actually, for some reason, I really don't know what the motive would be. He takes the maggot and he puts it on the dead body and then he goes to sleep. And so that third screenshot that you'll see with the woman, she is alive again. And basically what happens is the main character, he wakes up, he hears noise, and he he sits up and he realizes the maggot and the woman have for some reason conjoined. And now she's this this kind of monster, but it is her. It's her. It's not like the maggot is possessing her. Like, she is back. She is alive. She is now part of this weird little thing that this old man has been loving for however long. And for some reason, she just accepts it. Like, this is kind of part of her new existence with this old man. And so they look at each other. And I actually thought that maybe she was going to attack him. Maybe she was going to be angry and hurt that he had made her this way. But it seems like she's happier than she was when she was alive. And so the old man actually just looks at her and lays back down. He lays back down in his bed. And and this maggoty woman thing, she just kind of looks at him trying to understand. And she comes around to the empty side of the bed. He looks at her and he moves the blanket. She crawls into bed with him and they snuggle. And that's how it ends. It ends very similarly to how it started with a scene of this old man in bed. But it started with him being completely alone and frowning. And it ends with him with somebody else no longer alone and and hopefully having a better life it's gross (laughs) yeah i'm just i'm still like processing that yeah the maggot right are you looking at the screenshots (laughs) yeah i was wondering what that was (laughs) right i literally thought that it was gonna be like uh like an attacker because a lot of the times in these shorts The main character is almost messing with a power that they cannot control in almost every way. It's like they just keep going deeper and deeper into Dante's Inferno and every level they pass, it just gets grosser and more grotesque and just frightening. But this was the only one where I was watching it and it reaches its frightening climax and then nothing happens. And I just thought that was so interesting. I thought it was so weird. It's like the closest that Morgan would ever get to a romance. And and I really went from like being disgusted by this old man to like feeling really bad for him. And then all of a sudden it's like him and the woman are like happy and together, I guess. And it literally just ends with them going to sleep. And I guess that's just it now. And it makes you wonder, like, did he know he had this power of resurrection? Right. Or I almost too, I wonder if, like, because I don't, I almost don't think anything that happened had anything to do with him. 
I think it had to do with like the maggot and it almost kind of is like um like (laughs) when you have like an object and you like put an intention in it and then you like put it under your pillow or whatever people do that's kind of what it felt like is is he was like oh well like I'm lonely at least this maggot can have a meal and then the maggot gave him companionship I really like this one I think it's really kind of interesting. Morgan separated it into two parts. And I would definitely say the first part is a 5 out of 10 on the gore score. It's pretty icky, um, especially too with kind of like the, the suicide visuals. And there's a lot of like naked bodies and it's, it's pretty gross. But then part two is a 4 out of 10. Because while the maggot-human hybrid is pretty icky, it's actually quite tame. And the thing too about this short in particular is Morgan doesn't really use the like high gloss high contrast imagery he uses a lot of like low contrast especially because the color palette is mostly browns so everything is very close together and it's almost a little difficult to discern things from the imagery part one also was nine minutes and 13 seconds and part two was three minutes and 57 seconds and then the last two i watched are called invocation and d is for deloused Invocation is a 4 out of 10. It is about 3 minutes and 10 seconds long. And Invocation was actually commissioned by, I believe, Channel 4 in the UK. And they were doing a series where they wanted to highlight independent artists. And they wanted to give them no restrictions, no chain and ball, no anything. And so, you know, Robert Morgan was able to put his little short up. And they actually ran this program for quite a long time. And so watching Invocation was really kind of interesting. Because, like, like when I went to London when I was little, I was actually really surprised as to the stuff that they would show on TV compared to what they would show here. They really don't show that much violence here. That You know, no swearing no no creepiness or really anything and it kind of seems like those boundaries were really pushed when I was watching tv in, in London I was really kind of fascinated by those differences and even too watching a lot of like British television on Netflix the humor the content the topics they're very much more real I find than American tv can be and that's also too why I think a lot of people have migrated away from cable and towards more private services And so Invocation was actually kind of cute. And of course, I would think it was cute. But this was another one where it has a really familiar plot line where you have this like oppressed little creature and then you have the oppressor. And then through like the process of the of the film or the video, the oppressed and the oppressor switch places and then the oppressed gets a taste of their own medicine. So I thought this one was actually a really cute little nod to stop motion in general because it shows this like guy and he has this like haunted camera that accidentally cuts him and takes his blood, right? So of course it's cursed. And then it's like it's like this guy and he's a stop motion director. And at first I thought maybe it was literally Robert Morgan, but I learned later it isn't. Um, but that's fine. It would have been cool. But he but like the guy in the video, he's making a stop motion film and he's focused on this little like creepy little teddy bear. And each time he takes a picture of the teddy bear and moves it and takes the picture, and moves the teddy bear. He's doing this for, for a little while. Each time he takes a still something like this meaty thing is coming out of the camera and each little blob of meat is joining together to create a Robert Morgan version of the teddy bear that this guy is uh, photographing. 
And so each time he takes a picture, he's literally manifesting. He is invoking this teddy bear. And then once it's finally fully made and it's fully sentient and it's mad that that this guy is just, uh, you know, finicking and manipulating this his like real teddy bear body. So he literally attacks the director. The director is like, oh, my good God. And then he gets bopped by the teddy bear because of course he does. The teddy bear is horrifying. Um, and I also thought it was kind of funny because like it just feels really ironic because it's like of course it's about a stop motion director and then the subject kills the director and then the subject makes the director a stop motion subject so you literally have this dead body like spinning a bunch and then each time the the creepy meaty teddy bear is like taking pictures of the dead director it is now manifesting a like the director's consciousness into a Robert Morgan little guy character and I'm pretty sure it literally ends with him like screaming because now this is his life and that's invocation and they showed that on tv i cannot believe that was on public television tv (laughs) bro public television this it was it like really felt like the program they were doing was like an open call to artists and i'm like bro like danger but yeah invocation was actually pretty fun i thought it was kind of like cheeky just because it is like so much about like stop motion as an art and i thought it was kind of cute because like i'll even see like other stop motion like directors they'll take cute pictures with their products like have their little guys like interacting with them in like a physical way um and it's also kind of nice and so finally right i watched d is for d loused in a louse is an insect. And so uh, this one was actually a 7 out of 10, and it was 4 minutes and 33 seconds. This one was actually made for ABCs of Death 2. Have you seen either of those, one or two? I don't think I have, but I've definitely heard of it before. Yeah, yeah. So the first time I saw them, it was on Netflix in like 2013. And I actually didn't know that Robert Morgan had did a short for that series so I watched the first one and then the second one came out and I watched that too and then once you got to the letter d I was like I know what this is oh my god it was literally like I got so excited because I recognized the the styles that Morgan does us very quickly and so I watched the whole thing and then I saw the credits and I was like oh my god I was so happy but of course it is a seven out of ten so it is pretty gross it is really violent and like it's almost too difficult to describe but there were like demon bugs involved and it it was kind of like a a trick again for the main character where the main character thinks that he's going to get out of the predicament that he's currently in and then you know this this portal opens in the ground this like demon louse comes out of it and it's massive right it's man-sized and in the back end in like the thorax of the louse this like mouth opens and it's like you hear this this voice and it just keeps repeating over and over it's like like pay for freedom or something and so the main character goes and beheads his captors he puts the heads in the louse to feed this monster that's living inside of the louse Um, but he gets tricked he puts his head too close to the louse's body and he almost gets decapitated and then he kind of gets out But unfortunately, he is not alone. The people he thought he killed are not yet dead because the louse and whatever is inside the louse is more powerful than everything. And the louse always gets what it wants, which is your delicious cranium. 
And so the main character ends up dying and then everybody dies. And then the louse goes back through the portal and the portal closes. And then it's just over. <laughs> like, why? Like, he wasn't even de-loused. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, what's happening? I don't know. But that was another one with a lot of, like, pink and, like, just, oh, God. It's like if you took, like, a Barbie and you and you just dipped it in, like, YouTube-level slime. It's just thick and coated, and it's just, just so, it's, ugh, it's just icky. It's just so icky. It's, it's almost like an AI-generated image of what a person looks like to the computer. It's like all the features are kind of there. I kind of understand that there's like a society going on and that these are supposed to be people, but it's like you just can't make the leap. So like you look at it and you're like, even something that is supposed to be human is completely monstrous it's like how many bicycles are in this photo like actually though like it's so wrong it's like um it has really similar uncanny valley factors that um like have you seen those those portraits that people will generate that are like missing children when they're older by like 10 years oh yeah it's like that like, that's always what I think of is like, you kind of look like a person, but there's something wrong. There's something missing that to my brain is sending some kind of signal that like, this doesn't look like it's supposed to. Yeah. So I also too, I thought Robert Morgan was pretty appropriate for the Critter cast because he really focuses on monsters and critters and horrible, just like, just intense monster-based motifs there's a lot of like fairy tale feeling elements but also too i kind of feel like it's like anatomy-based horror for the sake of exploring boundaries it's it's like a lot of pushing boundaries of what is comfortable because there really are certain points where i'm like this is this is too much genuinely this is too much and i think honestly anybody that can do that with a little bit of metal and silicone is very very talented also, too, like a really big reason why I included my my patent pending gore score is because I, I want to be freed of any liability <laughs> if anybody watches these. <laughs> like, please, like, I'm, I'm just letting you know they're icky. I let you know which ones are the ickiest. And now you can just digest whatever you would like to. <laughs> Will not yeah. be entitled to any financial compensation uh -uh. if you're traumatized by it. Ain't none of my business. <laughs> the the interesting thing too is like I feel like I understand more about Robert Morgan from his film than I ever would from like a Wikipedia page. Also because his Wikipedia has like seven lines of information. That's crazy. Literally like it got colder as we've been recording, so I Ooh. went and got a blanket and like wrapped it around myself. <laughs> so you've just been listening to me go off about like horrifying <laughs> scenes. <laughs> Yep, and the cat curled up next to me, so if anybody hears any grumbles or meows, oh, probably her. She might be God. snoring. Little does she know the door is shut. Oh. <laughs> okay, as I told you already, the topic I've chosen for my also patent-pending tale from the cryptid oh. <laughs> this week are changelings. As I was doing my research, there's a vast amount of folklore surrounding this creature, if you will. 
Most commonly, the concept of a changeling child represents the abduction of a human infant child by a fae creature such as trolls, elves, or fairies who then leave their own offspring. The real human child is thought to be abducted for nefarious magical purposes, to be the fairy's servant, or given to the devil. Sometimes older fairies acted as a substitute themselves so they could spend their hospice days in the care of human parents. A changeling child is described as grotesque, with a garish and unhappy expression, missing or extra appendages, having loud and incessant cries, an insatiable appetite, and demonstrating unusual and disturbing behaviors. Sometimes a replacement was not left at all. Rocks or planks of wood that were enchanted to look like a child could be found in a crib instead. Eventually, the magic would fade and the object would return to normal. This immediately made me think of Plank from Ed, Ed, and Eddie. There's a lot of this folklore that came about during medieval Europe. Fairies and changelings are a big component of Irish folklore. The belief continued as long as 1895 when a woman by the name of Bridget Cleary was murdered by her husband because he thought she was a changeling. Oops. And I was like, that was just a homicide. Oh, you know, just a plain old murder. So another interesting historical theory that I found was it's possible that victims of colonialism in Europe especially may have substituted their children that they lost during raids with other stolen children or those brought by invaders. Oh my God. As a way of coping with that loss, more male children were usually identified as changelings, which it's possible that maybe because male children are more likely to have certain disorders. Some of the least malevolent reasons that fairies kidnapped a child was that they wanted the human to raise their own child instead, or they simply wanted to illegally adopt a good-looking human child to raise as their own. Kidnapped human children that were never found were also thought maybe there were changelings and the fairies wanted to keep them forever. Some people as adults could be suspected of being changelings that stayed in the human world, either having forgotten their lack of humanity in the first place, their fairy heritage, or having full knowledge that they are different from everybody else. Examples could be sociopaths, psychopaths, or people that just make your sixth sense tingle or your hairs raised. And I was thinking of... You know, Ezra Miller playing his role in the movie, we need to talk about Kevin. Someone who's that unsettling could be a changeling. A common motif that is pretty apparent is the disconnect of the bond that's supposed to form between the parents and the child. It's thought that often deformed or disabled children, whether it be physical or behavioral issues, were not uncommonly labeled as changelings. Unfortunately, suspecting changeling children offered suffered abuse Medieval life was not easy, and infanticide was easier to accept if the child was a changeling instead of the parents acknowledging their own real child was sick or had a disability. Wow, and yeah, it also covers postpartum. Yeah. And one interesting thing I read was that the insatiable appetite trait of a changeling child likely correlates with the belief that it was only consuming and not contributing to the family unit, so it had to die. Whoa. Right? Pretty Bruno. One method of detecting a changeling is by giving the child foxglove, which is actually poisonous to humans. When the child would get sick and die, they'd celebrate. It's working. 
a real child will be given back to us any day now. But that obviously never happened. Setting the suspected changeling child on fire could also be used to detect if it's a changeling. Or, in most cases, a mirror can be used to see a changeling's true form in the reflection. There's actually a more wholesome Scandinavian legend where a mother knew that the child she had wasn't her son anymore. But as a parent, she was compelled to care for it. And years later, the father found their real son in the woods, who said the fairies were also good to him because the mother was good to their spawn, too. Aww. Right? I was like, oh my god, like, he was kidnapped, but it was kind of wow. cute. Yeah, I mean, what a good mom, honestly. Now, when I was looking into relevant movies regarding this bit of folklore, the first movie I came across, obviously, was The Changeling from 1980. Now, I'm a pretty literal gal, so I was really hoping this movie's title would mean that there was going to be a changeling child in the most common sense of the phrase. Anytime I watch a movie, I would like to go into it only knowing the bare minimum. So I read the title and I was like, okay, like, I'm sold. The Changeling from 1980 is actually a Canadian movie directed by Peter Medak. This movie begins with a car broken down in the snow that's just been hit by a runaway truck. Then the title flashes on the screen with eerie music playing. And it kind of reminded me of the intro from Cabin in the Woods, where it's just the text comes up super big and super fast. And then it goes away. So the main character is a man, John Russell. He's a composer. And he's the same guy who lost his wife and daughter in that same accident from the beginning. Now he's alone. He moves to an empty historical mansion. Not too long after moving in, there's this loud, ghostly chanting and bangs heard throughout the house. And in my notes I took while viewing the movie, I wrote, very cool about those. <laughs> very cool, very spooky. Yeah. So he begins to hear noises while he's playing the piano. And, side note, I noticed a lot of the music throughout the entire movie is just piano instrumentals, which I really liked, and it kind of fittingly captured the perspective of the music professor that all the background music is mostly piano. Ooh. So a lot of weird stuff is happening around him. He starts investigating. One evening, all the faucets were turned on, and John saw the ghost of a drowned boy. So obviously he holds a seance, and the spirit identifies itself as a boy named Joseph Carmichael. That's so, a little too specific. Yeah, right. <laughs> Almost like Jack from The Shining, it's noticeable that John is starting to unravel a little in this house by himself. He finds a music box in the house that, when opened, it plays the same tune that he was playing on the piano earlier. And it's upon investigating the history of the house that we learn why this movie was called The Changeling after all. Joseph Carmichael was a sickly child that was killed by his own father and replaced with an adopted son who unknowingly assumed the deceased boy's identity. The father claimed that the boy had somehow been cured to explain his improved health. He did this because Joseph was set to inherit a large amount of money if he reached age 21. So it was his father's motive for ensuring that A, Joseph Carmichael reached that age so he could get the money. So it's revealed to us that the adopted son is now a prominent senator in town, and the rest of the movie involves John trying to convince the senator of the truth surrounding his upbringing. It wasn't like what I expected it to be about at all. 
No, that kind of seems like a really good movie. Oh, yeah, it it definitely was. This one was worth it. Whoa. When does that happen? The senator visits the house and he sees the ghost for himself and has a heart attack, obviously. Joseph's spirit also sets the house ablaze and the only thing that remains are his old wheelchair and the music box playing the same tune. Like I said, I was a little disappointed that this wasn't really a folkloric changeling movie and it was more of a paranormal haunted house movie. Is that really how it ends? Yeah. Oh my god, that's disappointing. Yeah, right? Like, it was a lot of build-up and then just kind of... Yeah. (laughs) That's whack. I mean, I guess technically you could say that um, the little boy's spirit was probably free since he killed his changing. For what it was, though, I thought the suspense built really well. I loved the sound design with the piano music. And some people actually criticize George C. Scott's performance as John Russell because he seemed almost too normal of a guy, so it didn't really invoke a sense of fear in the audience. Some people even said his acting was too good. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll admit it is a slower movie for sure, but I still did like his performance. And if you think about it, his character is a man who just lost his entire family. Like, how animated do you want him to be while he's grieving? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, this is what you would definitely classify as, like, a gothic ghost story. I had never seen this movie before, but I I had heard of it. But some other heavy hitters came out in 1980 that might have overshadowed the Changeling, including Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, God, no. The 13th. John Carpenter's The Fog and The Shining, actually. You really just just started that list with Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> I was like, I can either bury that one, but I was like, no, I have to put that at the beginning. No. <laughs> Literally. Obviously, people went to see that instead of The Changeling. So. Oh, my God. If you ever want to watch a movie... That both makes you want to throw up and also incredibly angry. Cannibal Holocaust is is good for that. <laughs> like some for some really really violent feelings. Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> I hate that movie. I was like, oh my god, I have to slip this one in there for any <laughs> the worst, the worst. So yeah, there is definitely a switch in that movie. Mm-hmm. But my cryptid itch was not quite scratched yet. Nuh-uh. <laughs> so I kept looking for a Changeling movie. And I was brought one step closer with the film Good Night, Mommy. <laughs> Yo! Which, as a side note, I don't like infantilized titles. It's just not mm-hmm. scary to me. No. And don't come for me, but I did watch the 2022 remake instead of the original 2014 Austrian movie by the same name. Literally, how dare you? I know. (laughs) But I can't read subtitles when I'm at work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, that's, you know what? That's valid. (laughs) Like, I wanted to watch one cut of The Dead, and I was like, I can't right now. (laughs) Right, I have shit to do. The 2022 version was directed by Matt Sobel, and it features Naomi Watts as the mother. So I kind of thought the concept of this movie flipped to the idea of a changeling on its head. 
Mm-hmm. And the premise is basically after Naomi Watts, who's only referred to as the mother in the movie, returns from a cosmetic surgery with her face wrapped in bandages. Think of that Twilight Zone episode, Eye mm-hmm. of the Beholder. Oh, yeah. So after she returns, her twin boys, Elias and Lucas, suspect that something's off about her. They also notice that she's become cold and distant with them. The way she delivers her line sounds like Dolores in Westworld before she gained sentience and also became Ooh. a total badass. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I loved her vocal affect throughout the movie. It was mm-hmm. so fun. So the mother implements stricter house rules and Elias noticed that she didn't sing them a bedtime song like she used to. She even lashes out at them when they went into the barn. And as the viewer, we actually see that there's blood stains in there. But at this time, the characters don't acknowledge that. She's just upset that they went where they weren't supposed to. The boys continue to observe her odd behavior. But the movie is told from their childlike perspective, so some of the strange things could actually be explained away. One of my notes even said, oh no, she's smoking. (laughs) (laughs) But they're freaking out, so they try to call their dad for backup. But she ends up putting their phone in a blender when she finds it. And this kind of scares them. So they run away and hide somewhere, but the police find them and return them to the mother. And my note here said... Where is CPS? <laughs> right. Basically, the mother calls them delusional, and she essentially apologizes to the police for their inconvenience. Like, I'm just a recently mm-hmm. divorced mom trying my best. <laughs> the boys then, as she's sleeping, tie her up home alone style and interrogate her. They said, our mother had different colored eyes than you. And she's literally like, guys, I wear contact lenses. <laughs> oh, God. So the boys become divided amongst themselves, where Elias thinks maybe they were wrong about her, but Lucas almost sinisterly insists that she is not their mother. But after they're arguing, Elias frees her, and the mother says, you have to come somewhere with me. Plot twist. She brings them <laughs> to the bloodstain in the barn that we saw earlier. <laughs> and we oh, learn no. that Lucas was accidentally shot by Elias some time ago. <gasps> And as he's confronted with this, there's a struggle between him and his mother where she accidentally falls and dies. And at this point, we're shown flashbacks that clear up a lot of the ambiguity in the movie, like how the police officers likely brought Elias home because he was actually just a disturbed child talking to himself. Lucas was never actually there. And the movie ends with Elias seeing his mother and Lucas in a field as what we assume are delusions of his own creation. So, fun fact about this movie, Naomi Watts was also one of the executive producers, along with the original Austrian writers and directors. Nice. The movie went straight to Amazon Prime Video, where Mm -hmm. it garnered mixed reviews, most of which say it's a fine movie, but the original was decent, and it didn't really need a remake only eight years later. Yeah. Which I can't really argue with that, but I did like it still. I literally didn't know that it was a remake until 
you started talking because I had started seeing Goodnight Mommy appear again and I literally just thought it was the original. I thought it was just the same movie that was made ages ago because I remember being excited like when it came out and so I thought it was just like a re-release of the same thing. I had no idea it was a full-blown remake. I love movies with an unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. because it's so often that I can predict the plot at this point, a movie has to just lie to me in order for me to not know what's going on. <laughs> I need my director to gaslight me for an hour and 30 minutes. And I actually rewatched this movie a couple times. Mm. And clues were dropped that there was actually only ever one boy there. In one scene, the mother only pours one glass of orange juice and hands it over to the two boys. Oh. And the three of them also have conversations, but the mother only ever responds to Elias, yet he talks to both of them. The way the movie makes you want to see it is that she's just cold and distant with them, but she literally just, there's no one there, so she's not talking to them. Wow. And she's so cold and distant also because... Elias only says we, and he kind of talks for both of them, you realize? Mm -hmm. And she's probably like, oh my god, my son is crazy. Yeah, and especially, too, being left with the son that killed the other son. And now you just have this disturbed child, and, like, he's he can't cope, obviously. Wow. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed the concept. It didn't go where I expected it to go. Right. I was pretty sold. I was like, the mom is definitely going to be kind of like a body snatcher or something. Like, she was replaced. But that's not where it went. That's so cool. The events of this movie actually reminded me of the real case of Charles Brandt. I don't know if you've heard of him, but... Yeah, maybe. In 1971, he shot and killed his parents when he was 13th, institutionalized for only a year then had his record wiped clean. He tried to kill his sister during that same event, but the gun stopped working. After she ran out of the house, his sister attests that his personality shifted back to normal, and he became distraught that she would abandon him. 33 years later, he killed his unknowing wife, his niece, and himself. His sister came forward about his past during the investigation of those murders, and it was discovered that he was secretly a serial killer and he was linked to unsolved murders in the surrounding area. Now, this person is obviously not a changeling, disclaimer, just a mentally (laughs) ill person that unfortunately the system did not keep a closer eye on. Right, that's so strange. So, as Goodnight Mommy turned into more of a psychological thriller, my hunt for a real changeling movie continued. My thirst was quenched when I came across the A24 horror (laughs) film... The Hole in the Ground from 2019. And this was actually the debut film of the director slash one of the writers, Lee Cronin. The events of the movie are set in Ireland. Folklore bonus point number one. I know, right? Recently separated mother, Sarah, and her son, Christopher, have just relocated to the Irish countryside. Christopher is a sensitive boy who's afraid of spiders and making new friends here. On their way to their new house, they almost hit a woman in the street who was just muttering to herself and she looks really disheveled. We find out her name is Noreen and that she previously killed her son in an alleged mental break because she was convinced the boy wasn't really her son. 
So they go home, but Chris runs off into the woods because his mom wouldn't kill a spider they found in the house like his dad would have for him. She runs after him, but she can't keep up. He's probably thinking, dad would have been able to catch me. Dang. <laughs> she does find a huge sinkhole in the forest, just in the middle of everything. And it's like that sinkhole from the lovely bones that the killer just dumps the safe with her body into. So Sarah freaks out when she sees this, like, oh my god, what if he fell down there? But she sees Christopher right behind her. And as the movie continues, Noreen's words kind of stuck in her head. And she starts having her own reservations about her own son when they almost hit Noreen again with their car. <laughs> oh, not again. But yeah, the amount of times the plot is just moved forward by them almost hitting Noreen in the street is, like, <laughs> crazy. Well, we need Noreen again, so bring her in. So they almost hit her, and Noreen becomes belligerent to Sarah and warning her that that's not Christopher. But Noreen's husband runs out and escorts her away and apologizes to Sarah for her outburst. So the next day, we learn that Noreen was brutally murdered and left with her head shoved in the dirt. This freaks Sarah out. She becomes more paranoid about her own son. He seems to have taken a liking to a meal he previously despised. He seems to have developed a shorter temper and even shoves a table at her, displaying superhuman strength. She also begins to hear odd noises at night. And one of the grossest scenes in the movie is she catches Christopher grabbing a spider with his hands and just gobbling it up. Oh! But the scene was almost a little more funny than scary because he was just acting like such a critter. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little guy. And it's like, you could hypothetically argue like, yeah, like kids do weird stuff, you know? Right. I mean, that's kind of like what I'm thinking is like, he's just like a troubled kid dealing with like an absent dad or whatever. Yeah. And he just moved to the new area. So eventually Sarah also becomes convinced that that's not her son she confronts him and chris attacks her after their little scuffle she uses a mirror to reveal his true form in the reflection she locks not chris in the basement and returns to the sinkhole in the forest to see if her son is still alive somewhere i don't remember if they even said the two were related yeah it's kind of like that like oh well it all started when i saw that dang hole yeah another one of my favorite parts she like crawls to the bottom of the sinkhole and there's all this like dirt she makes her way through these tunnels and finds the real christopher and a bunch of skeletons Ooh, nice it's revealed that this colony of faceless goblin monsters (gasps) were kidnapping children taking their form and wreaking havoc on the victims families and those around them oh my god like just for fun so it's implied that not chris killed noreen so she wouldn't reveal their secret and while they're down there trying to escape one of the monsters grabs sarah's arm while they're fleeing and is able to take on her form it's almost like remember in annihilation when natalie portman sees her clone it's they kind of have that moment so after this the two of them completely flee town (laughs) but we see sarah's paranoia isn't entirely gone their new house is covered in mirrors what yeah that's worse so that's basically how it ends oh that's her new precaution mirrored everything like because i think that you could call them fey yeah monsters like a classic fey 
I think so too. Um, mm-hmm. That's um, awesome. They didn't explicitly give anything a name, but mm-hmm. you know, it was set in Ireland. I was like, I think this is mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be. Yeah, um, without really saying it. That's awesome. The movie received generally positive reviews. I also like any creature feature, so mm-hmm. that's always a bonus for me. And not Chris's character reminded me of a lesser annoying version of the boy from Vivarium or the Babadook. Like, he was unsettling, <laughs> but he wasn't too grating that you couldn't watch the movie. That's awesome. <laughs> the movie was a tight 90 minutes, which... I think worked great for something straightforward like this. Yes. Like you were saying, some movies are just too long. Seriously, like if you don't know what you're doing, don't make the movie. Yeah. So that's pretty much the end of what I have for mine. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that was awesome. All right, that's what we have for today. Emmy, do you want to say goodbye? Goodbye, creepy babies. <laughs> Goodbye. (laughs) Welcome home, Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful.